my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader international audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore their relation, interest and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. to share with you a special edition of my podcast that was recorded live in Hetham as part of my graduation from the Critical Studies Department at the Sandberg Institute in Amsterdam. My kitchen table was joined by Julia Elias, Tasha Arlova and Eva Machov, with a poem reading by Maisa Imamovic and introduction by Arnisa Zeko. The starting point of our conversation was the exhibition titled From What Will We Reassemble Ourselves, currently on show at the Framer Framed in the east of Amsterdam. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to a vibrant stage of heretofore exhibition of the Critical Studies Department. Um, Feel free to walk around, maybe have a small seat on the ground, also designed, a vibrant stage designed by and produced by the first years of the SIS department, which we're very happy with. Oh, it's actually perhaps our last, it is the last official presentation of this three-day program, um, which has been really beautiful. And sort of, I'm gonna miss this stage for sure. And I love it that now at the end, or like in this last moment, the vibrant stage is also becoming a kitchen table, which is maybe the space in the house or in one's mind where really it's where the important things happen. Um, today, like there was a lot of interior talk with Benjamin and Nick going inside, outside, how much we are sort of in the last months we have been like obliged to be indoors and this element of the indoors has changed so much even my kitchen like sometimes feels like a prison i don't know <laughs> um, but for sure patricia's kitchen table is a very cozy one so the last presentation is by graduating student patricia rosvora and when we first met we started talking about what are these remnants, what are these ephemeral evidences of what was once called Eastern Europe? And how do that connect to our life today in the Netherlands or what we call the West? It is now more than 20 years ago where that separation happened. Um, or no, that separation fell through, the Berlin Wall fell through. And I don't know, like there were all these years, I remember in the beginning, like uh, when I moved to the Netherlands, early 2000s, there was so much talk about like the fall of the Iron Curtain, the new countries, and that all these conversations sort of faded away a little bit. Um, with Patricia, we spoke a lot of what that means today, but also what is Eastern Europe today? Um, she is herself from Poland. Myself, I have origins uh, from the Balkans, 
from my father's side. So we were also wondering what is the Balkans and also what is Eastern Europe to the Netherlands. So we came quickly into some heavy topics. Bosnia is a place we spoke of. And I think that is perhaps something that will be explored more in this last conversation. So I'm very happy to introduce Patricia with the Kitchen Conversations with three guests, Julia, Elias, Tasha Arlova, and Eva Machlov. Thank you, and this is being recorded. Hi, welcome. My name is Patricia Rosvora, and uh, this is a recording of my new episode uh, of my podcast, Kitchen Conversations. Uh, it's a podcast I started back in May when um, we officially graduated from the critical studies. Uh, and uh, back then I, I showed one episode. Uh, it was an episode which I recorded with Misha Antadze, a Georgian filmmaker. And uh, today I already have uh, four episodes uh, with Kristina Tasheva, Marta Romankiv, and uh, Michał Korta. And uh, basically, the, my podcast, Kitchen Conversations, uh, is a platform to share uh, stories and narrative uh, from Eastern Europe, the post-Soviet sphere, Eastern Bloc. However, word we're going to use, it's not really uh, the perfect one. But that's also what's about, like the, the terminology and... Um, Yes, uh, exploring uh, those narratives which I felt during this, uh, I think, seven years now, studying in the Rietfeld and Sandberg, were a bit uh, yeah, neglected or underrepresented. So I wanted to create the platform to hear those voices more and also uh, share knowledge, books, uh, uh, movies, artworks, which come from that region and through that, that voices. Um, so today, uh, usually the podcast uh, has a format that I invite one guest. Today I have uh, three guests and another special guest. Um, so it's quite a challenge. It's also uh, recorded live. Usually it's really like a kitchen conversation in a home space, either my home or the guest's home. Um, let's see how that works. Uh, officially, we cannot really make a public event, so that's why there's no not enough chairs, but feel free to kind of come and uh, go. And uh, yeah, you can also walk around the space. I hope the, the sound is uh, good enough. And also this episode will be later shared on my podcast platform, so you can uh, hear it again. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, some cookies here. Arnisa really liked them. <laughs> uh, I made them. And actually, the story is that uh, I made them once for, uh, when I talked to Christina Tasheva for my second episode. And the cookies took a lot of our conversation about also yeah, speaking with food and drinks and kind of opening the conversation a bit more uh, yeah, to that kind of uh, safe, uh, homey vibes. So also here I have the cookies. There is quite little left, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I would like to introduce uh, my guests, uh, Yulia Elias, um, an artist uh, originally from Ukraine, today uh, living in Utrecht. Uh, you did fine arts at the Rietveld, and now you're doing a master of fine arts at the HKU. Uh, then I have 
Tasha. Uh, Tasha is doing uh, the photography department at the Rietveld, the same as I did. So that connects us on one level, <laughs> one of the levels. And um, Tasha is or originally from Belarus. And I have Eva Mahov, uh, originally from Estonia, living in Amsterdam and doing the jewelry linking bodies department at the Rietveld and also an active member of the student council at the Rietveld. Uh, yeah, and these guests are here um, also for a special reason because uh, all of us form a reading group uh, or an artist collective, we don't really know what to call it. Uh, it started last year. Uh, the three of them started the initiative and I joined a bit later. Uh, the name was Post-Eastern Soviet Europe and now it transformed <laughs> to Second Thoughts. We are kind of struggling a bit with the name. Um, and actually back then, so like I, I joined last year, um, it was the first moment where I could share my work without needing to explain much and it was very generous and uh, I felt very good about it. And I also wanted to invite you today to kind of finalize my study with a conversation uh, together here. And also you didn't join my podcast yet. So uh, yeah, today you, you won't share your personal work, but each of you, of course, does great work. So I hope to hear more of your personal stuff later on. Um, yes, I think now we can... Uh, go to the topic of uh, today's uh, conversation. Um, usually, I think I will, I see this conversation as a format we usually practice in our meetings. So taking a, something as a starting point and uh, continuing discussion and seeing where it kind of leads us. Um, today, uh, I thought we could start by uh, talking about an exhibition which is happening now in Amsterdam uh, in the art space Framer Framed in the east of Amsterdam. Uh, it's an exhibition uh, titled From What Will We Reassemble Ourselves? Uh, and it um, brings together artists to speak about uh, the Srebrenica uh, genocide that happened um, in Srebrenica and around in uh, Bosnia in Herzegovina uh, 25 years ago. So this exhibition in Framer Framed uh, was conducted uh, in the 25th anniversary uh, and in particularly in Holland, in Amsterdam to point out how that history of that genocide connects to the Dutch history and how it's maybe not so openly discussed and it's not known to people, also it wasn't known to me, so uh, I thought it's an interesting starting point. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, what is this historical event, uh, I would like to introduce it a bit to give a historical context, what, was, uh, what happened in Srebrenica uh, 25 years ago, and I actually wrote uh, a review about the exhibition, uh, so I will read from my own text. In the 25th anniversary of the Srebrenica genocide, which took place in and around Srebrenica in Bosnia and Herzegovina in July 1995, 
six contemporary artists, a team of researchers and an architect come together to reflect on the violent yet so recent history. Each individual perspective offers a way towards reimagining the memory of violence and loss. Not long after the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, consisting of today's Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Kosovo, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Serbia and Slovenia, started to crumble into pieces. When armed conflicts broke out, governments all over Europe were hesitant to respond to the urgent reports of ethnic cleansing taking place across the Yugoslavia. In 1993, about three quarters out of the 50,000, 60,000 Bosnian Muslims, uh, the so-called Bosniaks, inhabiting Eastern Bosnia and Herzegovina fled to the large area around Srebrenica. However, it was only a matter of time for the Bosnian Serbs forces to approach the minority and conduct their ethnic cleansing campaign. It is in this context that the United Nations signed Resolution 819, formally establishing a UN safe area around Srebrenica. In 1994, the Dutch government sent the first United Nations Protection Force battalion to protect the area. Yet in 1995, Srebrenica was overrun by Bosnian Serb forces without meeting any effective resistance from the air nor from the land. Bosnian Serbs forcefully deported over 23,000 women and children with reports of widespread torture and rape and brutally murdered more than 8,000 men and young boys. The International Criminal Tribu Tribunal for former Yugoslavia concluded that the massacre was an act of genocide. So uh, the exhibition deals with this um, point of history and how we should understand it now uh, in, uh, in our time, 25 years after, and also living in the Netherlands, how that histories connect. I think it's important for us as artists, uh, also from yeah, the form, former um, uh, communist countries uh, living here now to to talk about it and I also wanted to bring it up since all of us, I think most of us live here. Uh, the exhibition is till January, I think, so you can still go. And uh, I wanted to open up uh, the discussion about our thoughts about it. I think most of us managed to go there. If not, there was quite some material about it. Um, but before, um, I thought it was very important to acknowledge that None of us here at the table is from that region. We are all representing, let's say, the Eastern Bloc, the former uh, East. Uh, but those histories are very different and none of us here represents those histories. We will today speak about it from the outside perspective, understanding maybe some things more, but yet for, from the very outside perspective, and I thought it was uh, important to have a voice uh, opening our discussion, a voice who understands. And I will also, during the talk, introduce some other voices from that region, from uh, embodying that history. Uh, but now I asked a good friend of mine, Maisa Imamovic, uh, to perform uh, a poem for us. Uh, I know my Saradif very long, from the very first days I was here, 
Maisa is originally from Bosnia and Herzegovina, working now in Amsterdam. And um, I thought it was important uh, to have her voice um, starting our discussion. Uh, and Maisa will read for us a poem by the Croatian-Bosnian poet Josefina Daudbegovic, titled The Unidentified. And uh, I see it as an introduction to our conversation, as a voice leading us. Thank you. And I'm not going to perform the poem, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> um, so, the poem, Neidentificirani. Kao zajedničkoj grobnici, svatko je umro od svoje smrti navodno, ljubav za istu stvar. Što radi njegova ključna kost uzovuće on? I našto će dotični nalikovati sastavljen od različitih dijelova kad dođe dan ustajanja. Posebno je pitanje, od čega ćemo se mi sastaviti ako se ponovno odlučimo voljeti. Nema unaprijed zadanog poredka stvari. Iste se stvari mogu izvesti na više načina. Ciljana redukcija semantika, gramatika, komunikacija. Govori čovjek na predavanju o stvarima koje s ovim gore nemaju nikakve veze. On ne zna da je sve u životu jedna te ista stvar. Kao s kraja na kraj razapet konopac, na dvorištu na kojim se samo povremeno rublje mijenja. Zagreb, 20.10.2001. And now the English version. The unidentified. The unidentified... Like in a mass grave, everyone has died of one's own death, apparently love of the same thing. What is his collarbone doing next to this frontal bone? And what will he look like reassembled from different parts when the day of resurrection comes? It is a partic particular question from what will we reassemble ourselves if again we decide to love one another. There is no prior order of things. The same things can be assembled in different ways. Targeted reduction semantics, grammar, communication. A man gives a lecture about things that have nothing to do with the above. He doesn't know that everything in life is one and the same thing. Like the clothesline in the yard stretched from end to end, on which only infrequently the laundry is changed. Thank you, Maisa. Okay. Uh, I forgot to say that you're also an artist, of course, and a great writer. And uh, actually, I have your writing here on the table. <laughs> yeah, I think we could start just by sharing our thoughts about uh, the exhibition. Uh, how you, what were your first experiences and yeah. Maybe, Julia, you can start. Um, yeah, I think the, yeah, the, I'm a little bit also, uh, it's really emotional, like the poem is really powerful, mm. I'm really touched by it. We can, yeah, we can start with that also, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, um, before I came to this talk, I, like, also, not, 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 I prepared a little bit, it's not only uh, visiting the exhibition, but also, like, 
conducting some research. I knew uh, this. I, I knew about this genocide before because this was one of the questions that you asked. Like, uh, um, yeah, if if we knew about it, knew, right? Yeah, yeah, I knew that it happened. Uh, it was in 1995, um, but I didn't know like what was the role of the uh, Dutch uh, forces there and what was the role of the United Nations. And uh, after doing this research, I realized that this whole situation happened because in a way they let it happen, you know. And uh, this exhibition is about bringing different voices to the fore, which was not heard before. And uh, like for, for me, one of the most works that stuck with me, like this temporal monument uh, by Bosnian girls, they did uh, portraits of the people who are like 25 years old, and they grew up in the Netherlands because they are like the kids of the refugees, the Muslim um, Bos Bosniaks. And uh, there is also like a little text uh, that you can read about their impression, about their experience growing up here. And uh, I, I think it's really uh, this um, polyphony of voices um, and like complexity of all this like horrible yeah, I cannot find words like to describe it. This event is, I don't know how is it possible, like how is it humanly possible that this situation happened and, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> mm. Yeah, and in connection to the, to the, to the poem, the, the bones mm, that was mentioned there is that like the male 8,000 uh, Muslims, men and boys, they were executed, and families, they still, um, yeah, like basically finding the, the pieces of the beloved ones in the mass graves. So after 25 years, not all of them are identified. Mm. And, um, and indeed, it's just like these bones uh, laying in the, this place, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting what you said about the different voices represented in the exhibition. I thought that was for me like the most important somehow that those are the voices which we don't usually hear when we speak about uh, this historical armed conflicts. Uh, and especially there was a lot of uh, um, stories about actually the survivors because those are also part of the genocide, of course, and it's not so much talked about those, the women and the children which got separated from the men. Uh, they, they were also part of this whole change, yeah, systemic cleansing, ethnic cleansing, and um, yeah, I thought that was very strong. And for me, because I didn't know anything about this, uh, this history, which is very embarrassing, that I found out about it only now, uh, that was very somehow refreshing to learn it through this lens, you know, and uh, in a way that was very, yeah, helpful to learn it from a different angle or start, yeah, understanding it from, uh, not from the military perspective and not how it was maybe uh, portrayed usually in, uh, yeah, mainstream media. Mm -hmm. 
I think also the fact that this exhibition was made by women, artists, architects, like researchers, it's also really powerful because usually, like in the context where we come from, we, uh, like as a woman, we don't talk about war or like this military, uh, yeah, like situations in general, I think the, the, this was really empowering, like also like to hear the story by the feminine voices. And uh, yeah, after events like this happen, usually there is like the, the mothers, like of the, there is like the mothers of Srebrenica, or like there is like mothers of the, uh, um. Yeah, maybe I will contextualize, like the mothers of Srebrenica is an activist group, or like a collective of, uh, yeah, mostly I think it's women who, uh, it's based in the Netherlands, and they are for years already fighting to get justice, to understand what happened, who, who should take, um, yeah, who should be responsible and how it should be divided and also uh, to identify uh, those who got uh, murdered because it's still, yeah, not all of them are still identified because the genocide was, uh, yeah, they wanted to kind of hide it. And uh, yeah, the, the mothers of Srebrenica are a big part of it and actually like that the public discussion started, it was because of them. And uh, I think that's, that's what you say. It's so, so brave of them to, to speak about it because culturally it's really not part of it that you should, especially if you're in such a, going through such a trauma to then, mm. you know, no, publicly. I, 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 I didn't mean exactly this um, uh, collective, but I just know that for, exa um, for example, like after like this uh, type of events occur, usually there is like a group of women, like the mothers who lost their beloved one, and they usually become an activist. Like uh, in Beslan, for example, you know, like when the school was captured, like there is like the mothers of Beslan, there is like mothers of Srebrenica, mm -hmm. and like the role of women in this um, in this all conflicts, like how they're like um, assembling. Um, like you know, the like after after these events occur, this mm. uh, care and in this state of um, coming together and mourning and taking care of each other, um, I I found it uh, yeah also like really important that this exhibition was made by women and usually because this like we don't I don't think like that as women we even have like a language developed. Uh, like to talk about these things. Uh, it's really masculine language when we talk about the war. So, um, yeah, maybe someone else wants to. <laughs> maybe I can add Yeah, a, yeah, of course. I, I don't feel like also actually capable to speak about it, like, but as a group, I think, because we're not, yeah, we're not coming from there, but what I think unite in our group, so we talk on representation, and in, like inclusion or exclusion of voices, and uh, maybe I could talk on this side, because to me it was a strong statement. Uh, Srebrenica is a Dutch history, and uh, I thought to, to me what in a way I could relate. It's about a bit dividing them and us, or like let's say sometimes uh, not exactly about this case, but what we talk about exitization of others or like uh, put in like a different uh, region or different history. And I thought what was 
what is strong about this exhibition, that it's kind of claiming, bring it back. No, it's Dutch history, and we won't let you to forget it. And I think it's very strong. And to me, I was impressed uh, by this language, and um, it's, it's, I think it works on many different uh, la layers. Also because exhibition um, is curated uh, by people who I think yeah, not representing somebody else, but speak from themselves. Um, and um, because um, maybe I'd better read a small, just a moment, how it was nice. written by a curator. So um, it's interesting how Anna Dasovic, yep. She speaks about uh, West like former West, um, and she says that the former West has been uh, deeply com uh, complicit in sustaining the fiction, casting people as participants of a civil war and assigning them reducibly to an ethnic identity. It allows people in the Netherlands to designate the violence, which uh, culminated in genocide in Srebrenica as originating there instead of here. I insist on speaking from Dutch perspective because it makes me complicit in the production of this divide, which is a neo-colonial divide between Europe and its exterior, between the civilized waste and the barbaric uh, ethnic others. So to me that's um, find uh, something like um, I could relate personally to uh, when trying to bring some topic, for example, now I'm working on a, bringing attention to situation in Belarus. And I find it um, very important also for, for self-empowering to say, no, it's connected to here as well. No, I'm speaking from here. It's not about distant situation somewhere there. And I think especially in this uh, story where um, Netherlands was particularly involved, it's very um, strong that it's message bring us back here in the Netherlands. And uh, especially concerning the fact that I don't remember the percentage of uh, Dutch people who don't know about genocide, about events, because there was some kind of uh, statistics. statistics. Uh, so it's actually really have um, this power to bring in back history and claiming history and speaking for it. Mm. So that's, I found, really important and strong. Yeah, yeah I also really liked, in a way, that uh, most of the especially like the exhibition in front, the installation was only in Dutch. So it was also, yeah, I think part of the message, like this is your history, read it, you know? It wasn't like translated for like including all the expats. I mean, it's your history, so share it, you know, read it, embody it. Eva, you wanna say something? Sure. Um, yeah, I have to reinstate that I I also didn't really have any knowledge about Srebrenica uh, prior to you introducing this topic. Um, very embarrassing indeed. Um, but I think on that note, as, uh, as you also mentioned about like a, a, a female approach or, or a womanly understanding, I think it's, uh, the exhibition was a very good example of um, like bringing nuance to traumatic experiences in the sense that if, like, since I cannot really speak for the specific uh, case of that genocide, but if I 
think of representations of oppression that I've seen back in Estonia, it's usually very, like it's oriented in a very matter-of-fact way. It is quite yeah, masculine, it is very much playing on the shock factor, which is quite distancing for the viewer, and I think it also um, gives you the opportunity not to really try to understand the complexities. Um, and in that sense, I feel like I agree with you that it really took it as granted that if you come to the exhibition, you are part of this story and part of this exploration. And I feel like also another interesting aspect that uh, that is missing in, in a, the Estonian discourse about history is that they were still uncovering also during the exhibition, during the research, the, the artists, uh, they were still you know, showing that it is not a finished idea and they also are not quite sure like what to think or how to think about it. Um, and I find that very, very important. And on the, on the factor of um, Dutch uh, people and the history, I'm like uh, in connection to my research for my schoolwork. Um, Your thesis, no? <laughs> Potentially. Let's um, call it like uh, bigger. <laughs> well, I, I uh, have like a little collection of uh, history textbooks from a few countries in Europe. Uh, more specifically high school history textbooks from like uh, the current uh, like past few years uh, program curriculum. And uh, I have the current Dutch one also. Um, and I found the aspect where they mention the genocide. And I mean, obviously it's in Dutch, it's a very small chapter, but uh, I used my Google Translate, so I can, I can, you know, read it out. It's very distant, in my opinion, or perhaps everyone can make their own assumption. Um, so it's under the um, chapter that also captures uh, the overall collapse of the ex-Yugoslavia and, uh, and re-independencing of the occupied Eastern European countries. Um, so it, it says, uh, the United States nations tried with peacekeepers of the civil defense to protect, uh, but they did not always succeed. In 1995, it became, uh, it, it became Dutch UN battalion, the Dutch bet, uh, to be in the Bosnian city of Srebrenica, who were then overrun by Serbian troops, who then killed 8,000 Bosnian Muslims. Uh, in 2002, the Dutch government took over partial re responsibility over this occurrence. Um, it was the largest genocide in Europe since the Second World War. That's it. Very dry, very... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not much insight. So it really doesn't give very much like uh, participation into the happening. Yeah, I also maybe wanted to say that uh, we wanted to invite some uh, Dutch people who work also within the context, uh, actually a professor of uh, what's the uh, department called, do you know? Slavic, Slavic studies, <laughs> Russian and Slavic studies. 
she was very nice and she would like to join us next time. But uh, yeah, also we couldn't really invite much people here, but I think it's, it would be great also to have actually uh, Dutch people also joining the conversation. Uh, I think that would be also uh, yeah, fruitful. Uh, and yeah, I wanted to actually, uh, in relation, Tasha, to what you said about which voices uh, speak about what, I think that was also an important part of this show and why I actually um, also invited us to speak about it, not being from, from this uh, part of the world, not knowing, uh, not embodying this history, but yet speaking about it and yeah, being interested and trying to make some sense out of it. Um, I wanted to uh, read part of an interview uh, between Anna Dasovic, so the person who put the whole exhibition together, and the curator, uh, Natasha Mari Lawrence. So uh, I was in touch with Anna, and actually I also invited her, but she's doing now a residency in Berlin, so couldn't make it but we had quite a lot of uh, email exchanges and I thought uh, her voice, although she cannot be here in person, uh, it's nice to include it here. Um, and in this part, she precisely speaks about which identity, identity she wants to put forward in this show and in working on this um, project. So Natasha is asking, can you talk a bit about why it was important to you to open the exhibition up to other practitioners? Anna, if I have learned anything from working on and thinking with Srebrenica, it is that there is no consensus on its representation. It is necessary at a moment that make, marks its 25th year commemoration to move away from the understanding of Srebrenica as a singular event that, trans, that transpired over just a month in July 1995. My work around Srebrenica needed to be read as one part of a polyphony of positions which addresses the representation of violence in a broader scope. I also felt it was crucial to go beyond the white male militarized doctrine which my own work is centered on and to include positions that are not marked by Dutch whiteness. Your mother was born in the Netherlands and your father was born in former Yugoslavia. You carry his name and thus perhaps also some of the racialized stigmas attached to people in the Netherlands with that background. I wonder how this informs your understanding of whiteness and why when you speak about this project you insist on your own Dutchness. Ever since I started the work on Srebrenica, my roots, have been at the heart of assumptions curators, art critics, and journalists make about who I am as an artist and as a sp speaking subject. It confuses people, especially here in the Netherlands, when they realize that with my artistic practice, I explicitly choose not, not to identify as someone from the territo territory of the former Yugoslavia. It is as if they lost their hold on me, their sense of what I'm allowed to say. So because of your last name, people imagine you can only embody one ethnicity, one that belongs elsewhere. 
Yes, my refusal to let my work be read in a relation to my ethnicity brushes against the grain of fantasy that people in the former West wish to sustain about the origin of these wars, which come down to an essentialized understanding of ethnicity. Yeah, and I thought um, that was very important also when I read it, uh, also in my own understanding how I see my art practice. Uh, yesterday, I think, or before yesterday, we spoke a bit about it. Uh, yeah, what is my work in this? And like, why, yeah, why do I choose for my graduation to speak about someone else's work? And um, yeah, also often in like representation, how like Eastern Europe, I think is, uh, yeah, represented here. Like quite often it's actually the kind of othering and the exoticizing. And uh, yeah, that's, that I think exhibition was very different and I thought that would be interesting to give it a bit more time and space to discuss it. Do you have something, Julia, there? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I wanted to use this opportunity to talk about the uh, petition launched by the uh, Bosnian yeah, Girls nice. uh, mm -hmm. Collective. Uh, because like uh, they have like um, if you if you look uh, for the website which is called srebrenica is dutch history dot com uh, you can find like a petition there and uh, they they want to um, mobilize like a political and social actors to raise awareness and reflection on this history in the various public domains in Dutch society. So they, they, they have like several goals. Uh, one is the genocide uh, should have a more prominent place in Dutch history education and should be taught in an inclusive manner. Second point, the creation of the permanent national monument in the, in the, the Hague, where all citizens can commemorate. And third point is structural government funding for the annual commemoration of the Srebrenica genocide in the Netherlands. So I think they're like uh, really good. Like they have like a lot of uh, people who voted already. So uh, if anyone has time and uh, wants to, I sign, voted. Yeah, yeah, I voted as well. I think it's quite important. Like to. I will share mention. the link also on uh, mm -hmm. my podcast. I think yeah. Yeah. Also to do something, you now act and not kind of keep it on the theoretical discussion level. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I also second that. But I think it was uh, something that we almost started touching upon when we were like uh, doing the last chat, let's say, before uh, coming here, is that uh, is of, of the question of. Um, is, it, is this, as your graduation presentation, is this really presenting someone else's work? Or is this, I mean, my, in my opinion, it is more uh, like not political art, but doing art politically, um, which I think this whole situation embodies that like carries what you're advocating for in the sense of this is not just presenting someone else's work, but the whole setting, the the preparation, the disclaimer, everything that you've put into this to make this a discussion and make this accessible is your graduation work in that sense, which I think is mostly not the understanding, especially in, in the Ritwald and Sandberg community. 
Um, it's a very self-indulging way of doing art mostly, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I'm curious also in terms of how, like have you gotten critique about this as your graduation show presentation or what kind of critique? Uh, no, I think it's more like self-critique that I always think like, uh, yeah, but I guess it's connected to like how the art school usually works that you mm. have to present maybe your own work and um, yeah, but I, I guess like I'm more interested in the process and creating something together and I think that can be, you know, work on its own, I think. Maybe you cannot grasp it, maybe you cannot present it as an artwork, but yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I really like that attitude. <laughs> I find it interesting. I know you feel me. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha, you want to share something on that? Yeah, just maybe a question because. Um, because it's, I think it's not also the only work, of course, you did because it's a series um, of talks and uh, podcast. So you, in a way, keep on talking on representation or like making some voices to be heard. Yeah, like a given a space, whatever it's at the kitchen table. And um, did you find out also because I, if I remember correct, it was difficult for you to place yourself. Like if you talk, for example, about Poland, mm. but you don't live in Poland, did like. How, from what side are you speaking about it? Uh, in these teams, did you find um, some solution for yourself? Or like, how do you decide to speak, speak on it? Because I, if I remember correctly, recently participated in a protest with regard to the new laws in Poland. So how do you feel, you know, your position in, in it? Yeah, it was actually interesting in the protest. Uh we were like maybe 500 people, maybe a bit less in the museum plane. Uh, was on Sunday, and actually the person who was speaking uh, addressed, yeah, addressed us that like all of you decided to leave Poland and you're here, so that already makes us, of course, very kind of disconnected from what's actually happening. But we still have like, a, you know, we are still Polish, and if we are here, we we care for it, you know. So, but that's of course difficult. I think my work in general like started from very like my close environment and uh, understanding, yeah, my family and like my work was about Poland kind of since I, I, from what I can remember. But I really like this moment when we actually, when I joined your the group you created and we actually, yeah, started to talk about it as something bigger. And I, yeah, and I, I like that, that, you know, you kind of, you don't have to only have one identity. And also, yeah, us living here for so many years, we are already having like a very different identity when if we wouldn't leave our homes, you know? So, yeah, I think it's just like a very different, uh, yeah, complexity. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, the topic of agencies representation was for us really important from the very beginning. Uh, in the group, we talked about, like we read some books about, uh, um, yeah, by Medina Lastano. Uh, but uh, I, I think, hero. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she really empowered uh, us in many ways. Yeah, so I think like this is really important to to be conscious about, like in which context you are and on behalf of which voices you are 
talking and what is also important like to understand that um, um, sometimes it's also like you have to give uh, space for others to talk about their voice and like work alongside with each other other than like sometimes we don't need to to represent <laughs> yeah it's hard to formulate it it's more like um yeah, uh, giving space to the to the identities who are like who are not heard, but like you don't need to talk for them. You just you just give them platform to do it. And I think like that's why your project is a, is a success because you're like changing the focal point from yourself to the to the community and give it uh, give like platform for different people to to talk their stories. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What's the time? Okay. Yeah, I wanted to actually also, um, obviously, like we wanted to start uh, talking about this exhibition in Frame Framed, uh, and um, that was like the main uh, idea of the conversation. But of course, there's a lot of different things happening now, especially uh, in yeah Eastern Europe. I think uh, most of us know, of course, what's happening in Belarus since. Uh, this yeah, late summer, and also uh, since last week in Poland. Um, so I was expecting also this talk to go into more urgent uh, and more kind of things which we kind of are at the moment very busy with. with. Uh, and I know that uh, Tasha, you're working now on an exhibition or like it's the opening was two days ago. Um, yesterday. yesterday, okay, yeah, uh, and I think it would be nice if you could share something about it because it's also an uh, art exhibition happening in Amsterdam, uh, and we were speaking a little about it, how different it is to what you experience from before, so yeah. No, I, I can add also in maybe in relation to a talk because I found that it was before, like, I tried to talk on Belarus for a long time, but it was so difficult to be, like, shown or, like, to showcase work before, like, really urgent things happened, uh, when there was people killed and wounded, and... But it was, of course, people were, like, aware, like, m me and other Belarusian were aware that something is happening. And I'm really glad that we got a platform in uh, RT in uh, Amsterdam, now to show protest art and, and different stories of people. To me, it's, I think it's like really empowering experience to also to be able, I wouldn't say myself curator, because I mean, I gather it works, but in a way they speak for themselves. But it's, it's more than 50 different artists from Belarus who in different way responded to situation, like from protest art, from posters, to, to public performances, songs, or decoration of houses. So. But I personal, I can speak of my experience, I felt very strong of being able to make it. And I also, it's like a claim, yeah? It's, it's not somewhere there. Like, I speak it from here. And like next, so this exhibition you can still visit um, uh, till 7 of November. And then uh, there is another attempt to make it closer to people here. So we have a talk in the Bali on 7 of November. And then, we, like we try to bring different perspective on situation, like coming from like I'm gonna talk on uh, 
artistic response on, on protests in Belarus, then uh, people from Belarus are going to talk for themselves what's happening right now. And also we bring uh, Dutch politicians and writers who will speak from their side. And what I wanted to do is to connect in a way, because European Union response was very slow when crackdown happens, uh, happened even like small sanctions toward Lukashenko and regime was very, very slow and took a lot of time. And that was, I feel it's very frustrating because it's even symbolic measures could be taken. And um, so we bring this um, Dutch politician and writer who can speak also, you know, what a bigger geopolitical um, picture, because of course it's not just um, response on Belarus, it's actually related to much response in the Netherlands with Russia and uh, bigger, you know, like confrontation because of kind of Belarus in between of Europe and Russia and what it means if actually we don't speak loud that, you know, politicians here afraid to make firm steps against Putin. So, and, and that's an attempt to make it more um, connected to people here. So that's why I completely understand this feeling when you like feel, you talk about some distant situation, uh, like Belarus is somewhere really far, but I say, no, it's not far, it's, it's two hours flight from here. And the last news actually is that now they, they were closing borders, so students from Belarus, from abroad, couldn't come back to Belarus. So you know what I'm afraid? That this slow response, or at least reaction, like anything can happen. You know, what is now, like uh, Lukashenko starts, like real mascara. And the urgency is kind of lacking, at least even, even in speaking about situation, that I feel like reading news and uh, speaking to people. So. At least my hope to bring a bit of urgency to the situation and uh, so people can hear real voices. And in an exhibition what I saw, because we show work about 60 different artists, so you really go to different topics, of course it's really difficult to talk about violence. So I, like in this exhibition for example, I really like pay tribute that um, um, Anna and the other curator, and they all managed to speak about violence in approachable manner. But uh, so I see how people respond even like if I show, you know, violence in Belarus through performance, people still sometimes find it difficult to look at it. So, um, but still what I noticed, at least it's felt for me that people go through exhibition, uh, uh, hear stories and they come back different and they say, why didn't we know about it? So at least for me, it's very empowering experience to speak up, let um, other artists speak for themselves and make some kind of message. And it doesn't need to, you know, I don't know what people think after, will they make any decisions or something, but it's more about involvement and understanding and being heard. So mm -hmm. for me, that's really positive experience to be able and uh, having the space to talk about it can through you art. Can yeah. you say a little bit like how it started? Like, did you get invited to show something or did you get... No, uh, we just approach a different institution basically with connection of Belarusian artists. So we just send emails asking for a space to showcase um, work of Belarusian artists. And uh, yeah, some people responded. So we had like one week to show. Uh, it was really short um, preparation period. But luckily, you know, because of uh, Belarusian volunteers and artists and activists, it's like maybe in the end 40 people work together and it's open yesterday and the response was really positive. Now, m my question also, uh, how to make it closer to, you know, 
to people in the Netherlands, they're interested to come because I know when they come, they really get involved and it's like, a, you know, it's not about nationality, it's about connecting to people's stories and uh, justice or injustice. But before that, I feel like, yeah, so the, the goal, of course, to bring it a bit closer, mm -hmm. not to have it like a distant story, as I think it's, it, it, it is now mm. here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice, so it's till 7 of, of November. November. Yeah. So Aye. it's RT at Amicizi. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, it's from 12 to 6 uh, p.m. And um, yeah, it's possible to book it on website. All right. And we have also Belarusian people, activists, uh, who are making a guided tour. So it's like also a conversation, walking through art. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think we are talking already one hour. But um, yeah, I think I would like to speak about one last thing, which uh, I thought is uh, maybe imp yeah, important. It's like uh, the language and like um, also the how how little we know about our histories and um, yeah for who is for let's say I guess yeah a representation and like for who is which arts uh, made or like who is the audience. I think all these things are like kind of coming back in our conversations. And um, when I was coming back to uh, the Framer Framed uh, exhibition, when I was, um, when I wrote this text about the exhibition, the little review, um, Anna Dasovic actually wrote to me, it was super nice, and that uh, she read the text and she replied. And she gave me a very interesting feedback about my use of uh, the language. And that was, yeah, Julia, you said it's brave for me to bring it up in my graduation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah but I think it's super important. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important. And although, yeah, we are kind of little on time, I think it's important to kind of maybe even finish with this. Um, no, we're also going to talk about the events in Poland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, Anna pointed out uh, of my use of the term uh, the Balkan territory and uh, me using it, talking about the history of Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, how it's kind of painful and stereotypical to call the, the region the Balkan region, because of course the Balkan is more like a geographical term and it doesn't describe, uh, it describes a way broader region than just uh, yeah former Yugoslavia. So it was, yeah, interesting because she pointed out that probably my podcast and all the work I do is kind of going against the stereotypes, yet I kind of used it myself. Um, yeah, and I thought it's uh, interesting how like, we use even us already kind of working with those topics for so long, still make these mistakes and like prove our little knowledge about each other's histories and these little nuances. Uh, yes, and maybe just about this term that the, uh, yeah, the Balkan territory uh, is uh, stereotypically connecting to the very violent history of the wars uh, in the former Yugoslavia. And uh, it's uh, a term um, 
grew out of it, the balkanization, so the a term kind of describing something falling apart and partitioning and um, a geopolitical term which is kind of yeah coming from this particular history but now it's applied to all other uh, contexts and uh, yeah this particular kind of word how kind of painful it can be and how hurting for for people yeah for people embodying that history so yeah. I think it's quite important that you bring it up because it's also like your learning curve, you know, like that you um, you want to speak, you have urged like to speak about specific topic and then of course you can make a mistake, but then if you like get comment from the person who like embodies this uh, history, you just embrace it and uh, you learn and you're like in, in this uh, process of becoming and in the process of uh, yeah, like figuring out, like how, like actually we, like the reading group initiative was like to discover languages, like how to talk about mm -hmm. certain things because like when we first started, like we didn't have enough and that's why we, we started to read and from the reading and from the discussion we are learning how to talk about our identities and, and honestly like this homogenized understanding of the um, space, like the original name, our original name was a more like a provocation. We knew that it's problematic, but we wanted... Uh, Post-Eastern Soviet, Soviet Europe. Europe. Yeah, we, we wanted like just to uh, invite people who were like annoyed by this, <laughs> by this term, because actually it's like 21 uh, countries, like really different, like with different languages, with different cultures uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's not like Eastern Europe or like post-Soviet, uh, um, of course. But this hom homogenized area is due to the fact that uh, the the structure in the academy we talked about the Slavic and Russian studies, right? It's a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, um, it's like also like a historical scene that after the Cold War, uh, institutions were they were shaped in a way that. Uh, they, they were talking about the Soviet Union, and then the, uh, the, after the fall of the wall, the budget cuts, and uh, the, there was no possibility also like to to look at all these individual countries. So the, the structure in the academy remained the same, and uh, like maybe this is also like something we need to talk about and revisit those histories. Maybe inviting the professor. Universities. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we, we will slowly uh, finish. I think we are talking around an hour. Uh, yeah, about Poland, I think, yeah, maybe it's important, for sure. Yeah, I made a little installation yesterday um, about the protests. Uh, so uh, since last week, there's uh, protests happening um, all across Poland. It's connected to a uh, new legislation going through. So it's actually now uh, a new law that, um, yeah, restricting the abortion uh, possibilities, which were almost impossible in Poland anyway, but now uh, it uh, restricts uh, the possibility of abortion even if you're baby or I don't know on which stage fetus is very ill uh, and uh, it's still yeah it's impossible now to to have a safe abortion because of course abortions will still happen uh, and uh, people got very angry and are demonstrating uh, 
thousands, thousands of people on the streets. Uh, and of course, like the, the juridical system in Poland, it's fully destroyed. It's not constitutional. So also, I think that's kind of a domino of uh, anger of people, how like all the laws are basically illegal, but still are made to, yeah, official and the politician kind of goes, uh, go on with them. So yeah, it's kind of a week now, uh, demonstrations, and actually uh, there's a lot of inspiration with the Belarusian protests. So there's like a big discussion going on, like uh, how how people in Belarus were organizing and how it's gonna go now in Poland. Of course, like the pandemic doesn't help, but yeah. So read some, think about it and support. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, I feel it went very quick and I had like way more prepared. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure we will continue in our uh, kitchen conversations. <laughs> and uh, thanks, Maisa. Thank you, Julia, Eva, and Tasha. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yes, thank you. listening to Kitchen Conversations. Please check out the show notes for all the references made during our talk. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time.